Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerel. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And the 2023-24 Premier League season has begun. Arsenal winning uh, 2-1 at home against Nottingham Forest and Spurs drawing 2-2 away at Brentford. Uh, But before we talk about the football, I think we probably need to talk about the departure of Harry Edward Kane, MBE. This is the first uh, Cannon and Cockrell podcast without Harry Kane at Tottenham. Obviously, I have a lot to say about this, but Jason, I'm wondering how you're feeling because I feel like you and Harry Kane, it's almost like, I don't know, the Joker and Batman. You're you're pitched as enemies, but really you need each other. I don't know what you're going to do now that Harry Kane isn't at Spurs anymore, given how much you talked about him on this podcast. Um, I've nothing left to say. I mean, how are you coping? What how, what are you going to do now he's gone? Well, now I'm going to admit what a brilliant striker Harry Kane is. <laughs> Can do everything, world class. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a world beater, and uh, he's gonna fire England to glory as my captain. Uh, nothing, not a bad word to say about him anymore, <laughs> as long as he's not a Spurs player. Um, but in all seriousness, blimmin' delighted I don't have to see him um, score lots of consolation goals for Spurs. Uh, glad I don't see him uh, score against Arsenal undeserved penalties every game um, and glad that you know the only hope Spurs had of any sort of success this season is gone and that uh, the 12th place is looking strong it's been a very tough decade really of Harry Kane for Arsenal fans you know we've all kind of maybe hoped deep down that he was a one season wonder and then a two-season wonder, an eight-season wonder. But the man scores goals, and I guess that's because he had Arsenal in his DNA. And I think it must be sad for Spurs fans that, you know, you could have such a great player like that and not win anything. You know, ultimately, that's what he's going for. He's there to, he's there to win and win big trophies. And who, who knows, if Spurs had pipped Leicester to that title when they finished third in the two-horse race or had won that Champions League final, Kane would probably stay. Kane would probably be there forever and he'd break that record. And, and I think there's no reason why he might not be able to come back and do it if he's still got that fitness. But I think it's over for Spurs with Harry Kane now um, forever. And I think they've got a very generous financial package for him as well. I think the question is, do they... You know, if you can't reinvest like for like with that money and without having Europe, who are you going to attract at that level? At the same time, scattering talent around, mediocre talent, is that going to do it? I think Spurs are in for a real tough time and I'm here for it. Um, And I guess I've got mixed emotions. In one hand, I'm saying good riddance, Harry Kane. The other saying gutted because uh, he kept Spurs at mediocrity. rightly or wrongly. So uh, I'm kind of doing my little, for people who don't know, the, the Henri giggle. You can look it up on GIFs. Um, I've been giggling for the past week and a bit, um, knowing Harry Kane has been off. Um, how do you feel? I know it's been a, probably an emotional time um, for you as a Spurs fan and, you know, as a, as a person who who admires Harry Kane. Well, well, it's funny there that you said, on the one hand, you're you're glad he's gone because Spurs are going to struggle. But at the same time, you're gutted he didn't stay because it would have been mediocrity with him. It kind of seems like a whatever uh, whatever happened here, it would have been you would have uh, criticised Spurs for it. Um, 
And you said about you're glad you won't uh, see him score against Arsenal anymore. I am sure it is written in the stars that Arsenal and Bayern Munich's paths will cross in the Champions League. And if they do, I hope it's a Harry Kane goal that that knocks you out. Um, yeah, obviously you, you said mixed emotions. It's mixed emotions for me as well. I mean, when I saw the David Ornstein tweet that said Spurs and Bayern had agreed a fee, I had a, a guttural physical reaction to it. I felt my sort of stomach turn, which surprised me really, because obviously we've had a lot of time to prepare for this moment, not just this summer, but you think, what was it, two, three years ago when Kane was pushing for the move to City? That was kind of when it was clear that Kane leaving Spurs was on the cards, that he maybe saw his future elsewhere and wasn't going to sign a new contract. So we had a lot of time to prepare for this moment, but still when it happened and it was confirmed, I, I felt a bit emotional, which really, I, I'm at an age now where I shouldn't be reacting emotionally to, to players leaving your football club, but obviously a player like Harry Kane is... Um, not your average not your average player and I guess it's a mixture of sadness that as you say he didn't see his future at Spurs that he didn't think he could still be competitive at Tottenham there's anger I guess towards the the, the powers that be at the club that it that it came to that um there was a bit of confusion I think on, on my part in that I did think he would run his contract down just because I thought that would be what was best for him, not necessarily what was best for Spurs. Obviously for us, I suppose financially, it was better to get a fee, whether that's what's best for us in terms of the football we'll see this season. But I thought for Kane, he was in a position where he held all the cards and could have gone wherever he wanted on a free next year because clubs would have just had to deal directly with him rather than dealing with Spurs and Daniel Levy. And you think clubs could have been queuing up uh, for him and who knows what you know the striker situation will be in a year's time maybe Haaland will want to move and City will be back in for him if United's uh, Hoyland doesn't work out maybe they would have been in for him there are rumours about Barcelona you think he could have had his pick of the clubs and the Bundesliga as much as Bayern are of course a, a great club the Bundesliga is not I would say a, a, a top tier league it's one of the big five leagues in Europe but Bayern win it year in year out I mean it's it's less competitive than the Scottish League is at least Rangers have won a, a league in the past few years I mean Dortmund well, been, isn't it? well exactly but I mean Dortmund I don't think have won a league for 10-11 years now so and any Bundesliga titles he wins there at Bayern I don't think are really gonna it, it kind of seemed like trophies for the sake of trophies a, a move for the sake of a move I don't think he necessarily grew up dreaming of winning the Bundesliga now the Champions League is obviously where it's at he wants to play in the Champions League, he deserves to play in the Champions League. And that, I think, is what this move boils down to. It's it's a shot at the Champions League. And I'm sure Thomas Tuchel, I think the, the reports have even said that Thomas Tuchel has basically said to him, look, with you and the team, I think we have a chance of winning the Champions League. And if he goes and he, he does do that, then fair play. But I think just winning the Bundesliga or, or the German Cup, I'm not sure really, OK, sure, it's a trophy, but is it really going to change the narrative or, or, or move the needle all that much? I don't know. Um, but if for him, he, he's, I mean, look, if he wants to test himself and move abroad, fine. I mean, I remember historically saying that more English players should go and play abroad. So maybe it'd be hypocritical of me now to say, oh, well, he shouldn't go to the Bundesliga because it's not as good as the Premier League at the end of the day. And, you know, the England captain playing in Germany, maybe that will give us some sort of competitive competitive advantage going into next summer's Euros. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, he'll be... Um, and if you think between Kane and Bellingham, I would argue... Um, that maybe England's two best players now both play abroad, which is quite 
interesting Bellingham at Real Madrid and, and and Spurs at Bayern Munich and yeah what well, I guess what that might mean for for the England team but obviously yeah sad that he's I, I guess it, it's that conflicting thing of on the one hand thinking what are we going to do without him because over the years we have become what Pep at the time falsely accused us of being which was the Harry Kane team when he when he made that comment we actually weren't the Harry Kane team at that point and in fact not long after he said that we got to a Champions League final without Harry Kane and people actually said Harry Kane shouldn't have played in the final. Um, but under the so-called elite managers of Mourinho and Conte, we very much did become the Harry Kane team to the point where last season, I think he scored like 40% of our goals and was his goals were worth 20 plus points to us. So in that respect, you do worry about how we'll cope without him. But then on the other hand, you think this is football. Players come and go. I mean, in my time, I've seen Bale uh, leave Modric, uh, Keane, Berbatov. There's always someone else who who comes around. And for people of the older generation than me who've seen Ardiles uh, or Klinsman or Glenn Hoddle or whoever, or even going all the way back to Jimmy Greaves, people would have never thought there'd be another striker like him at Spurs. The club's been around since 1882. Life goes on, football goes on. There's always someone else. But at the same time, Kane arguably isn't like any of those other players I've mentioned because his name stands alone as the club's all-time top goal scorer. And what I will say is that even though he didn't win any trophies at Spurs as part of a team, I'll always remember that moment when I was very lucky to be there the moment he broke the record uh, against City. And I remember when it happened, turning to my dad and he looked at me and said, that will never happen again. And I don't think it will. I think that record will stay. I mean, I mentioned Jimmy Greaves. People would have thought that his record would never be beaten. But look how long it took and and what it you know the player that it took to to beat it and it's not just having a player as good as Harry Kane at the club it's having them stick around long enough and be consistent enough to to beat that record and you know not many fans can say that they've seen their club's all-time top goal scorer in the flesh and to have seen the moment they got the record so that was a a kind of privilege and a, a pleasure as a fan and it's interesting what you mentioned about oh if he'd won trophies earlier would he have stayed I almost wonder whether if he had won that league title or, or an old FA Cup or Champions League, whether that might have he might have even left earlier because he might have thought, well, look, I've I've won the big trophy at Spurs. Now I can go elsewhere. And because I was thinking earlier, I wonder whether how we'd be thinking about Harry Kane's legacy at Spurs if he'd been part of a team that had won a couple of trophies, but had left and not got the record because those triumphs would have been seen more as. I mean, team triumphs rather than just Harry Kane alone. You know, you think of Leicester's title win, for example. You don't just think of Jamie Vardy. You think of Ranieri. You think of Kante. You think of Mares. And I, I wonder whether if, if Kane had won that league in 1516 or Champions League, but then left and not got the record, I'm sure he'd still be seen as legend because he would have been part of that team. But it's not like he was the captain of that team. For all we know, he might not have got the winning goal in the final. And but as the all-time top goal scorer, you stand alone. That name is in the history books forever. So I don't think that's something to be kind of completely disregarded. Um, I think when you think about it like normal careers as well, you think, OK, in your career, do you set out to make a difference in the world? Or do you set out to, to be as successful as possible for yourself individually? Now, I'd argue that we'd all claim there's a wider purpose and that there, are, there is a higher purpose for sure. But I don't think we can all deny that having those individual accolades feels good. I mean, evolutionary, of course, it's going to feel good. So I don't know. I feel like sometimes we maybe underestimate the fact that it does feel good to get individual records. And whilst you are in it to win trophies and do the best you can, and ultimately 
I'd argue if you've done the best you can and the team have done the best they can, then collectively, you know, that's all you can do. I just wonder, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess for me, it all goes down to the fact that why would he have stayed at mid-table Spurs? You know, they promised and promised and promised and new managers, new managers, new managers. I think he had to leave. But I think, as you say, if it's just to get a Bundesliga, what's that about? Unless, I don't want to speculate, unless there were other reasons he wanted to leave. You know, it's, it's, no, um, it's no secret that he's been ridiculed in mainstream stream media. He's been criticised on social media for, for all sorts. And uh, it's not even forget, in December, he missed a penalty against France. And that might have done him some serious damage to think, God, am I... Am I Am I always going to be this guy who's got this 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 on my back, this target on my back? And maybe he just wants, maybe it's a reputational piece to go and win something and then come back. Who knows what sort of clauses yeah. Dan Levy's put in there? Or, or you know, we know that Mane went there a year later, gone to Saudi Arabia. Who's say Kane one year later, City go 110 mil. Yeah, you know what? Job done. Let's do it. That's an interesting point about England, because I often wondered if England had won the Euros or had won the World Cup, would that have made him stay at Spurs? Because it would be almost like that trophy itch would have been scratched and almost nothing he could have done at club level would ever have matched that achievement anyway. Well, he did um, the up in the Tiger Cup, to be fair. Well, exactly. Um, and going back to the point about individual uh, sort of recognition, I mean, I'm sure Harry Kane would say that he would trade trade in his goals for a Premier League winner's medal or Champions League winner's medal. But I think it is uh, instructive, based on what you were saying, that Alan Shearer is remembered far more for this Premier League goal-scoring record. And he seems to talk far more about this Premier League uh, record than that title win with Blackburn. So I think in a way that kind of answers that question. And, and on the um, whether Kane comes back, I think he will be back sooner rather than later. And I mean, we can go into, I guess, predictions about what this means for Spurs, what this means for Harry Kane. But I, I it wouldn't surprise me if, like Mane, he struggles to settle. I, you know, he might win Bundesliga, German Cup, score a lot of goals, but it wouldn't surprise me if him, his family, struggle to settle. And in a year's time, a City or a United panic well, and throw big money at him to, to bring him back. I think he could be back sooner rather than later. And it wouldn't surprise me if he, he did come back to Spurs one day because he did leave the door open to that in his sort of goodbye message. And Spurs attackers do have a history of Coming back, Klinsman came back, Defoe came back, Keane came back, Bale came back. There seems to be something about uh, a Tottenham strikers that they, they can't resist the, the comeback story. Uh, Teddy, Sheringham, Keane, Teddy Sheringham came back. Did Robbie Keane come back after Liverpool? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember that. What was that about? Um, so they, they always come back. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh-huh. Kane somehow at some point did end up back at Spurs and maybe that's kind of the I don't know the dream scenario but maybe he goes and and gets that trophy thing off his back and maybe in the meantime Spurs do sort of forge this new uh, brighter future without Kane and then Kane does come back for kind of one last dance who knows Um, I mean I'm sure he'd be welcomed back with open arms by the fans Um, and look I mean for us as much as it hurts to see him go it's probably better to see him you know, thinking about these hypotheticals and him being at other clubs, what may or may not happen next season, we'll see. But in terms of this season, it probably is a lot better for us to have sold him abroad than face up to the prospect of him potentially moving on a free next year to a United or a Chelsea 
uh, or City. And I think if he wasn't going to sign a new contract, I mean, I think the last time we spoke, I kind of mounted the argument for why it didn't matter how much money there was. You just keep him because no amount of money is worth what he's worth to the team. But having been through a season where Conte's contract situation seemed to overshadow everything, you can imagine if Kane has stayed and, and it wasn't renewing the contract every week, even if he was scoring goals and playing well, in a way that would have just made it worse. It would have just been a constant kind of countdown that could have overshadowed the season and if Kane had been there and you'd known it was his kind of last season the pressure that there would have been to have some sort of tangible benefit at the end of it like oh you need to win something because while well, you've still got Kane whereas now it's almost like you've ripped the plaster off and it truly is a new era for Postcoglu and I think once Lloris leaves um, Hyungman's son will be the only player who started the Champions League final left at the club Um so it kind of is a, you know, if you're going to bring in a new manager and do this whole new era and rebuild and everything, then maybe it's keeping Harry Kane and going about a rebuild was always incompatible. And maybe Kane's presence was what led to these sort of short-termist decisions and, and, and manager hires. And maybe in a, in a strange way, it's kind of taking the you know, step backwards to go forwards that, I remember Roy Keane saying once, well, sometimes you have to lose to win. You know, maybe this is actually as painful as it may seem, as crazy as it may seem to, to say you need to go without a player like Harry Kane. If I'm looking for some sort of optimism here, maybe this is what needs to happen for us to to fully, you know, Poch going to Chelsea and Kane leaving, those two things happening in the same summer, I don't think is uh, a coincidence. Maybe that is the universe trying to tell us something that, look, you need to get over that era. It was great, but ultimately... It did, you know, it came to an end, and now you need to to look to a brighter future with Ange Postecoglou and and this new look team. I don't know. I feel like that's some really wise words for anyone who's just left a relationship. Um, <laughs> August sixteenth, right now, and uh, you know, all this stuff could have happened at the start, and you know, it was the opportunity to have a new era. Postecoglou, clear the decks, build your team. Yet they've waited till now. And everyone's, he was, he's doing that whole, oh, I, I never planned for him. Mate, you put him up front and he scored all four goals in the last preseason game. Do me a favour. It doesn't look good. You've already drawn to Brett Brentford um, in your first game. Doesn't It's not him. a bad result. But, well, it's, it's still a draw. You know, if Spurs are that great, they'd win it. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, for me, I can't see in two weeks what's going to happen that, that seems like a thought-out strategy. Um but then again, uh, I can't remember what happened when Bale left. Maybe it was, was it Soldado came through and the other one? Well, the, the, with Bale, we spent basically all the money up front. We, were, we, we signed all the players before we sold Bale. And, and the Bale sale um, came, I think, at a very similar time. Um, and look, I mean, with these negotiations, Bayern were never going to pay the money that we got for Kane right up front it was always going to be a saga the way these things work and and does it help the team no of course not I mean the fact that the deal went through kind of literally on the eve of the new season um doesn't help anyone and I think absolutely it, it disrupts pre-season because as much as Postacoglu can say oh well we we planned for this eventuality as long as Kane was there and as long as there was a chance that he might have stayed you still had to keep him as part of your thinking and part of your plans um so, of course, none of that's helpful. But at the same time, I don't see how it's that avoidable. I think at the end of the day, you talk about the good financial package and maybe you're only going to get that if you're willing to 
take it right to the to the brink. Um, and in terms of what we do now, I mean, I I don't think you can replace Harry Kane with one individual player. I think you have to try and replace him sort of in the aggregate and hope multiple players step up. And in a way, James Madison is as much as a, of a Harry Kane replacement as any striker we may or may not sign in the next few weeks. I mean, Madison has taken his number 10 shirt and assisted both goals against Brentford. And because that's the thing with Harry Kane and, and was one of the, the things about him, he was he was more than one player. He was a, a number nine and a number 10. He was the top goal scorer and the top assister. And you, you saying about how, you know, famously one season wonder, we were all kind of waiting for the bubble to burst when he first broke through. I remember when um, I was watching some England under-20s game before Kane actually made it into the first team and uh, me and my dad were watching it. We saw him miss a sit and we thought, oh, that kid will never make it. And then even in that first season when he was scoring last-minute winners against Arsenal and two goals against Chelsea in that 5-3 win, people were kind of waiting for it to to fizzle out. But he kept getting better year in, year out and added so much to his game. And that's the thing. You, you, you have to replace him with multiple players. Everybody kind of needs to step up. And to be fair, historically, when he's been out injured, the, the collective have stepped up. They did it to get to that Champions League final. They did it on the opening day when we beat City under Nuno when Harry Kane wasn't in the squad because of all everything that had gone on that summer. So there is a template for it. In terms of who we go and sign, we've been linked to a lot of young up-and-coming strikers. And I think I'd rather that than sort of splurge all the money on one big-name striker like uh, Lukaku or Vlavic, where it's they'll be coming in very much as this person's a Harry Kane replacement with all the pressure and all the price tag on them. And if it doesn't work out, then you fumbled it. I think we need to try and be cleverer about this and bring in someone younger and and try and sort of spread spread the load, spread the work um, so it doesn't just fall on one player, whilst at the same time trying to avoid uh, the, the magnificent seven thing where we brought in basically seven players to replace Bale and only a couple of them ended up being good signings after a few years. I think Ericsson and Lamella were two who were signed in that cohort who eventually ended up being good players for us. But the rest, you know, Soldado, Kirakes, Capu, um, there's someone else I'm forgetting. Well, the fact that I'm forgetting some of the others kind of <laughs> says it all. Um, and also, yeah, Brentford, I, I was surprised to learn watching that game on Sky. They said only Brentford only lost twice at home all of last season. And if you think back to sort of beginning of the season games at Brentford in, in the last two seasons, they've been in the Premier League. United went there uh, and the early days under Ten Hag and got smacked 4-0. And Arsenal went there away at Brentford's and when they you know first got in the league and lost 2-0. So it's it, City lost there at the end of last season. It's not an easy place to go. And actually, I thought considering what you were saying about how late in the day Kane was sold and considering the way our pre-season went with matches postponed and opponents pulling out and kind of all the noise it would have been very easy for us to have gone there and folded and got got thrashed, but we didn't. And yes, okay, you know, it's only a draw and the, the two goals we conceded were poor, but I saw enough in there to think that actually, you know what, there's there's reasons to be optimistic. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think we're going to miss Harry Kane every week and we're going to realise all over again just how good he was. Um, but I wouldn't be completely dismissive of a, of a draw away at Brentford considering results there in previous seasons and and what we'd been through that summer I, th- I think it could have been a lot worse well I'm sure it would look like a really good point once United uh destroy Spurs in the in the in the second game of the season but well if, if their goalkeeper is allowed to get away with um assaulting the opposition in the box then I'm sure United will win 
Well, that's that's a that's a story for another day because uh, we've had a few of them go against us too uh, in previous years. Maybe not that specific incident, but but VAR in general. Um, you mentioned, I guess, you know, the collective without Harry Kane can up their game, and I suppose individuals can also become the new stars um, as their their space um, is kind of opened up. So, how do you feel about your new captain, and 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 how he might fare now? Now, you know, he was part of the magic duo and now his partner's gone. How do you think he'll fare? I know I've made some comments around, uh, you know, potentially his style of leadership. Is he is he the right guy to lead Spurs on the pitch? I don't know. Um, but he seems like a fan favourite. And I wonder, I do wonder whether that was a little tactic to, to, keep, to keep him happy as well. Because another bad season uh, for Spurs, I'm sure Hominson knows he's better than that and someone like a city could come calling tomorrow to me son was the 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 obvious and only choice for for captain um captain of his country a, a player who has committed to spurs the, the, the summer kane was angling for a move from city and when we were in the conference league and had nuno as manager son put pen to paper on a new contract this summer when there was saudi interest in him he said no i want to stay at spurs there's more I want to prove and do in the Premier League. Um, to me, he's somebody who, I mean, there's lots of different styles of leadership. And for me, I think Sonny is somebody who's clearly popular, not just amongst the fans, but in the dressing room. Um, he's somebody who, I mean, there was a match against Aston Villa where he got an early knock and then ended up scoring a last minute winner. And then it turned out afterwards that he'd like broken his arm or something or his wrist. Like he's, he's somebody who has sort of sacrificed a lot for the for the club and I think I think giving it to anybody else to, to me personally just wouldn't have felt right I think it's interesting the choice of vice captains that you know Madison has come straight in and is a vice captain and then Romero as well I think is an interesting one I, I wonder whether that's almost Postacoglu thinking you know could the responsibility of the armband maybe help um Romero essentially be a bit more responsible on, on the pitch perhaps and you know he is a World Cup winner as well um, but it definitely seems like he's gone. I mean, Son is probably the last, like I said, the, the only remaining player from that Champions League final. Um, so he's kind of the, I guess, the last sort of remnant of that era. But with the vice captains, he's very much gone for, I guess, the, the fresh blood and, and the new leaders in the team. Um, I think Son will, I mean, you saw, I think he's somebody who will take the captaincy very seriously. And you saw, I don't know if you would have seen it or heard about it, but uh, when the teams came out at Brentford, he took the whole team over to applaud the away fans and do the pre-match huddle in front of the away fans. And he said it was an idea he had the night before the game and texted James Madison about. And I feel like he's just somebody who will feel the the honour and the weight of the armband, which could also be a bad thing, that pressure as well at the same time. But I think he's somebody who you know will see the the armband, you know, as an honour and, and kind of take it seriously. I do worry about him in the Postacoglu system in, in that he was played out wide uh, against Brentford and Postacoglu kind of likes his wingers to kind of be very high and wide. But over the years, Son has become much more of a striker. And I feel like if he's shoved out wide, it's not going to really fit where his game has gone. So I would play him through the middle as the striker and have Richarlison actually out there on the wing. I feel that would suit Richarlison's game a bit more because mm. he, he kind of likes to sort of take players on a bit more whereas I think Son is much more of a now kind of run through behind and 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 finish type of player. Yeah. So Ritarzen likes to do keepy uppies and get battered on the floor. 
Well, exactly. But I mean, if you, you know, win free kicks in those areas, Madison can whip them in and then and then we're away. So, no, for me, I'm very happy with the choice of Son. I think that was the only choice. And um, I, 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 yeah, I think he'll he'll do a good job. And I'm, I'm uh, I like this new leadership group. I mean, it's funny because the old so-called leadership group was, you know, Lloris as captain and you had Kane and then I think Dyer and Hoybier, which was like that was the leadership group. And in pretty much for the team. Kane and, and almost Larissa are gone. There's rumours Hoiberg's going to be gone. Dyer's almost gone. So you do kind of have now this new this new leadership group, this new captain to go with the new manager. And, th- and there is that kind of excitement that comes with a, a clean slate. And I'll be interested to see, uh, inter- yeah, interested to see how they all get on. Well, I guess uh, Madison looks like he settled in quite nicely early on as well. And he, I've got to say, it was a sharp piece of business Um I am surprised no one else went for him, but I think uh, I think he could have a big season, be, become Spurs' star talent. Yeah, I think he is. I I think he will be seen actually as the Harry Kane replacement, not any striker we sign. I just think Madison will take Kane's role of being that kind of creative heartbeat of the team. You could already see against Brentford, obviously he got assists for both the goals, but kind of everything was going through him, and he just seems to have that that confidence, that kind of healthy arrogance. And I think he seems to have embraced this idea of he knows that Spurs have been missing a player like him since Ericsson left. And I think he kind of sees himself as a a Tottenham type of player. And he just seems to kind of be embracing the the club and, and the fact that he's now having to step into this new role of responsibility. I just hope we can keep him fit because I feel like if he were to be injured, we don't then have another player like him in the team at the moment. Um, Maybe being out of Europe will help in that respect if, for the most part, it's only one game a week. Um, but I I would worry about, given how much we seem to be relying on him already against Brentford, I would worry about what happened if, if he was out for any extended period of time. What about the keeper and your new centre-back? Have they been meeting expectations as high as Madison so far? Well, Vicario, I think, is going to be entertaining. I don't think either of the goals... Uh, on Sunday were his fault Um, but at the same time he exuded this very chaotic energy (laughs) and he he was kind of a bit all over the place and I feel like with him he's either going to pull off an absolute wonder save or he's going to throw it in his own net and there won't be any in between Um, so I'll be interested to see how he gets on that's a good air to Lloris that's what he used to do yeah or even a bit of a Gomez about him as well um and I have to say, I was very impressed with Mickey van der Ven, who is fast becoming. He was already <laughs> one of my favorite players just because I love his name. Um, but watching him play, I mean, for the second goal, it did deflect off him. But again, I don't really think there was much he could have done about it. But overall, I thought he just, particularly considering he'd only had like a couple of training sessions. I mean, the fact that he was thrown straight in um, either spoke volumes of how much Postacoglu rated him or how much he doesn't rate our other defenders. Um, but he just seemed so, he's very tall, he's very quick, he seemed very composed in the ball, and he just, he does look like a Vertonghen, like Vertonghen too. And actually, it was interesting, you know, speaking of the end of the Poch era, you almost saw against Brentford, it was like finally seeing some of the replacements for those players we lost. You looked at Van der Ven, and you were like, oh yeah, he's a bit like Vertonghen. You saw Basuma, who seems like a completely new player now. And you're like, oh, yeah, he's a bit like Musa Dembele. And then Madison, you're like, oh, yeah, he's a bit like Ericsson. And then the only problem was you were like, oh, but there's no Harry Kane. Um, and that might be the the issue is, you know, is Richarlison 
or so on if he ends up playing through the middle or whoever else we sign are they going to be as clinical up front um as Harry Kane but no I like the look of Van der Ven I like the look of Udogi the uh, the left back who was on loan last season he looks a good prospect um but actually what I thought was most interesting with the centre-back situation was the uh Davinson Sanchez Romero situation um and I have to say a lot of credit to Ange Postacoglu for for having the the bravery to take off Romero just after Romero had put us one nil up um, with the for the concussion, and we know a lot of managers don't take this seriously and keep players on, and particularly if the player says, "Oh no 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 no, I'm fine, I'm good to continue." Uh, Romero had had a clash of heads a few minutes before, was chased by the medical staff, went back out to play, and then scored the header, um, and it was a very kind of powerful header, and you could tell immediately he kind of stopped the players from all jumping on him. Um, but then there was a long VAR check for offside. The goal was fine. And by then, Romero was like, oh, no, no, I'm OK. But Postacoglu was like, no, you're coming off. Romero wasn't happy at all, kind of went down the touchline, went down the tunnel, came back out later and seemed fine. And Postacoglu put on Sanchez. And given how Sanchez had played last season, I was very concerned. But Sanchez actually looked, I think maybe the fact that the manager had the confidence to put him on, he seemed to to grow because of that and, and put in one of his better performances that I've seen for a while. And just, you know, considering it was Postacoglu's first Premier League game and the pressure on him reputationally to take off your probably best, most experienced defender on the pitch right after they've scored. Um, it, it is a situation a lot of other managers wouldn't have done, even if it was what was in the best interests of the player's long term health. And we see time and time again that those things aren't taken seriously. And to to do that, I think, is something that. Uh, he went up in my estimation for having done that. And I kind of had to check myself in a way because part of me was like, no, don't take off Romero. Don't put on Sanchez. But I was like, no, he's doing it for the right reasons. And actually, Sanchez um, rose to the occasion. So actually, yeah, Van der Ven looked good. Doggy looked good. But probably the biggest centre-back story was that Romero substitution and, and Sanchez coming on. And actually, um, even though we conceded two goals, uh, playing and, and and looking far more confident. I think uh, Andrzej Postacoglu should get a uh, Manager of the Month award for that sub. I mean, you, you, I mean, you, you joke, but genuinely, I mean, how many managers actually would have done that? I mean, there's a few former Spurs managers who I know for a fact wouldn't have done that and probably would have left the player out there until they were literally collapsing. So I do think, you know, all, all kind of joking aside, he does deserve some some praise for that because it's something 99% of Premier League managers probably wouldn't have done. I do wonder whether there might be something from where he's worked before, maybe even Australia. I don't know if in other sports, potentially he's been looking because uh, it seems like everyone else takes it seriously except us in football, despite all these uh, new rules we've tried to put in place. And I do wonder as well, the Ryan Mason effect, him being on the coaching staff, he knows better than anyone how serious head injuries are. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I feel like they will be a lot more conscious of it and sensitive of it at Spurs because of that than maybe they would be at other clubs. Amazing. Ryan Mason is still there. Well, it's interesting. I mean, everyone said he needed to go and spread his wings, but I mean, maybe him working under a manager like Postacoglu is what he needs to to fully complete his education. He's worked under more defensive managers. He's still very young. I mean, he really should still be playing. Um, So maybe Maybe, he thinks this is the final stage of my apprenticeship. Maybe Angie wants someone to do a Pep and Arteta to then let him spread his wings and uh, have another person who will finish 12th place. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Um, um, before yeah. we wrap up about Harry Kane and Tottenham, because I think uh, all roads lead to Kane. 
What was your favourite Harry Kane moment in your Spurs sporting history? So there's two that instantly come to mind. One is when he broke the record, just because that was history and to be there for that. Um, And the other one was the Spurs-Arsenal game in his breakthrough season in the 2014-15 season. So the season before the, the Leicester year. And it was a 2-1 Spurs win. Kane scored both goals. We went 1-0 down early. And Kane scored a, a last-minute winner from a header. Um, I think it was Nabil Bentaleb who might have even played the ball in. And I think that was just one of those moments where... I mean, there'd been a moment before that where we beat Chelsea 5-3 and he scored twice where you realised, OK, this kid is real deal. But that moment from a you know, player who'd come through the academy in that breakthrough season to get a last-minute winner against Arsenal coming from behind was kind of a real okay, this kid is special, kind of Roy of the Rovers moment. And because most people talk about that goal where, you know, he curls it in from the left-hand side yeah. and he, rip, he rips the mask off. And kind of a, that probably is technically the best goal he scored. But for me, that goal is ruined by the fact that we didn't win that game because that goal put us 2-1 ahead. And I think we were, you had a player sent off as well. But you came back to equalise. And I genuinely believe if we had won that game, because if we won that game, we would have gone top. And I think if we'd won that game, we would have won the league. I think the momentum would have just carried us on after that. Um, So whenever I see that goal, as amazing as it is, it's always tinged with this sense of regret. Whereas that last minute winner the season before, you know, we won the game. And uh, it was kind of a, a statement moment where he really kind of announced himself to the world. So... Yeah, that last minute winner against Arsenal in his breakthrough season and then that record breaking goal in his final season. Kind of nice bookends for, for Kane's time at Tottenham. I wish I hadn't asked. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite moment is when he left <laughs> and he was holding the Bayern shirt. Albeit one game, trophy final, no trophy. And I was so happy about that because if he'd won, you know, everyone had the jokes ready. Oh, 20, you know, one yeah. day of leaving Spurs, he's won a trophy already. Lol. And I was so happy that the people couldn't get to make that that joke. I'm sure he'll get his Bundesliga next next year, but you don't get to win a trophy the day you lose Spurs. And I'm glad that people didn't get that moment. Uh, gutted. In another, <laughs> in another life. But, I mean, we've spoken a lot about Harry Kane and Spurs, understandably so, it being the big story in town. But Arsenal, I mean, news today, your big star defender signing, potentially out for who knows how long. Um how are you feeling about Arsenal now? I mean, good win against Nottingham Forest, although helped by uh, your £105 million man, Declan Rice, handling it in the box and VAR, not looking at it. What? Um, I didn't even see that. What? <laughs> when did that happen? Go go watch uh, Match of the Day back. It was, uh, it was a big talking point. I didn't even remember seeing it. I think I must have been making a cup of tea. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but a, a, a decent start, I guess, a 2-1 win. David Rea uh, confirmed as well. And I guess that's oh, something oh. maybe to, to talk about. We debated it a lot on Messenger, but not on the podcast yet. But yeah, how are you feeling about Arsenal Community Shield as well? God, we haven't talked about that. Oh, um, not, yeah, we've got to start with the trophy. Another trophy on Spurs. Very happy. Uh, it's a major honour, according to the list. So <laughs> one trophy down. Set the scene nicely, psychologically, um, albeit... It, was, it wasn't uh, in normal time, but to beat City or to at least get something out of a game where we played well against them, doesn't matter how we scored that goal, was brilliant. That was really exciting. And I thought, I, I think we don't 100% look the real deal because we've changed things. We've changed the spine of the team. Granite Shack has left. 
Um, who else is left? Why do I keep thinking someone else is left? I don't know. The way we've kind of positioned it and having Havertz and Rice in there now in that midfield, um, as well as Party staying, which wasn't completely confirmed because obviously he wasn't there at the end of the season really because of injury. Timbo was becoming our best fullback um, left and right. So yeah, things things are going to take time because they need to recalibrate because it is you know refreshing the system, aging down the team again. But I saw some good stuff. We looked to control for most, for probably the first half. And then I think we just took a foot off the gas the second half. We thought 2-0, we're doing it. I think if we'd got one more goal, we would have cruised. Um, Forrest had a bit of a, a spurt. Um, I think I was very confused at the structure of the team, considering what we did last season, considering how we'd set up in pre-season to then have party right back to drop Gabriel. Um, I don't really understand Timber at left back, even though he's been playing well. You know, he's either a right back or a centre back. Um, I thought it to 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 to, cap, to account for one player Zinchenko being out to change your whole lineup is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it almost it almost um, was to our detriment. But I think you know three points, job done. It's all we need. Go to Palace on Monday. Go get another three points, and then we're cooking. Um, the timber injury is gutting because he looked really, really, really good. He was versatile. He can play across the back line. He's a 24-year-old guy who's new to the Premier League in England. It's just, it's just heartbreaking for that to happen in the way it did. I think the silver lining from a very, not to be insensitive, but from a playing perspective is we still have our first choice back four fit from last year. White will go back over to right back. Saliba and Gabriel at centre-back, Sinchenko at left-back. The challenge then becomes about squad depth because one of those get injured, we're exactly the same place we were last year and it wasn't working. So, especially if Holding's going to leave, Cedric's going to leave, Tommy Asu's not going to play that much, if Tierney's going to leave. I do wonder, I mean, there's rumours about Laporte, but he seems to be being uh, flirty, flirting with every single North London club at the moment. So, I think there could be something there. I wonder whether it's a one-year loan signing. I wonder whether Arteta is ruthless and says, listen, won't be back this season, Timber. Don't know what's going to happen the year after. I'm going to go make another signing. Um, I don't really know where that money is going to come from. We have a lot of players to get rid of because financial fair play and the balance of the squad, we've spent too much. We've got too many players. I still think we're missing a bit of quality, albeit Eddie and Ketty seemed uh, decent again. Um, scored a nice goal. We seem to have some lovely, kind of above average options in Smith Rowe and Vieira, and you know, Balogun's going to go. Obviously, Nelson. I mean, but it but it feels like we're missing that stardust quality still. I know it sounds ridiculous after spending what we did on Rice, but we've needed Rice for years. That is the core of the team, and he will get better and better. Havert. I'm starting to feel like Havertz. That money and that space in the squad. If you just spend 20 million more, you're going to get a star and he's got to deliver something. And I still can't quite figure out what it is. I think the David Rea signing seems odd. I think the fact that it is a three million pound loan. I mean, great. It sounds like it's basically a done deal for him to be permanent at the end of the season. I don't know what's going on there, really. I think may it, knowing the way Arteta is, and the way it's panned out the past few years, 
I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of weeks he's number one and we never see Ramsdale again or we might see him in some cup competitions. That's genuinely how the cookie crumbles. And you'd mentioned it, Ramsdale been making mistakes, albeit I've been denying it. Um, he'd been a little bit seeming too confident. Um, he had a good match in the Community Shield, but, you know, he does make mistakes. And we're now supposedly ties with challengers. You can't afford to to carry people. We've seen what, you know, De Gea obviously won it with uh, Sir Alex. But after then, we saw what it did to United's title prospects, having a keeper that wasn't up to scratch. You know, if they got rid of him years ago, they might have actually come back quicker. So I think it's the right move. Financially, at this stage, you're basically making a profit by getting rid of Turner. Um, I think the club is smart enough to know what it's going to do to the team atmosphere. And to be honest with you, every other position has has competition and top quality competition. So I don't see why not for the keeper as well. But I think it's going to be really interesting what happens in the next few weeks because Pepe, Balogun, Holding, Cedric, Smith Rowe potentially. There's loads of players that need to go. Tierney, Lukonga. And I don't know how you get them all out the door for a good fee when everyone knows you're desperate to sell. I also don't know how you can go into this season thinking Gabriel Jesus, who's injured, and Nketiah is all you need up front, albeit Trossard could be could be brought in. Martinelli, to an extent, could be thrown in there. Havertz. It feels risky. The spin on that that I've been thinking is that, well, if we play without that out-and-out striker and Jesus brings other people into the game... Then if he gets injured, you have Havertz, who still not scoring goals, but still trying to play that game. So I think the system Arteta is trying to go to is, you know, just because one injury happens doesn't mean I have to change the whole style of play. However, that's kind of what it seemed like happened when we had one injury to Zinchenko and he's changed the whole, the whole game. But he's also been talking about this unpredictability. And I think... We will see different lineups. We'll see people dropped. We'll see people swapped in. We'll see substitutions a lot more. Um, I think we need to, with all these competitions, uh, have a bit more rotation as well to avoid the injuries and and and, and put a bit of a surprise factor for for everyone. But I'm feeling a little bit less confident than I was uh, come preseason. I think the guaranteed title I was expecting might not be coming home. I'd love to be wrong. I mean, De Bruyne out injured for, for City now. Does that not make you think? I know you've got an injury of your own with Timber, but still, does that not make you think, oh, maybe City won't be as much of a force this year? I think they I think they did a lot without him last year, unless I'm imagining that. I think they're good enough without him, to be honest. I think they have enough quality. And it, feel, it feels like they haven't done the thing. I mean, Guardiola was obviously a big fee, but it feels like getting rid of Bernardo... No, they didn't get rid of Bernardo Silva. Mares and... Who else? Who else they got rid of? Mares, Gundogan. Feels like something, something's missing. Maybe I feel like they might be doing something late on. Something might be cooking. Maybe a late Mbappe move to to put them up from with uh, with Haaland. Then we're all finished. Um, I don't know. I think we have a really good chance. I think it all just depends on how we click. I think it depends on how we end this window. I'd love to see us be a bit more creative and say, you know what? Like we, in the old days, we took Julio Baptista on loan for a, for a half season a season go do something like that maybe be willing to do something in january 
Um, I'm just not as confident because it's clear that things need to click and there's a bit of a longer term play in view. But there's kind of no excuses, as you've said. And I don't think Arteta's legacy or, or future will be decided based on not winning the league this year. I think if we were to have a poor season, I don't think he'd, I don't think he'd be pushed at this stage. I think there'd be question marks. And I don't know, he might want to... I wonder whether he looks at the Barca job at one point. Who knows how long Xavi's going to last. I wonder whether Pep might see himself after next year. Think, you know what, probably had enough now. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Mixed emotions at the moment. I think the Timber news has just met, put a dampener on the fact that played well, great goal by Saka, great goal by Nketiah, one of the best assists I've seen from Martinelli. Look good. That was such an accident, by the way. There's no way Martinelli meant that. On purpose. It was so on purpose. The man is from Brazil. No idea what he was doing there. I, the man is from Brazil. Listen, I am such a good footballer. And I Emerson Royale is from Brazil. Emerson Doesn't mean Royale. anything. Emerson Royale can't. I can't believe he's still at the squad. Uh, he played very well actually on on Sunday. Scored scored the equaliser. Oh God! I saw uh, good old Serge uh, Serge Nabry, not Serge Nabry. Serge Aurier was uh, a bit of fighting talk with Martinelli um, as well. So uh, nah. Serge is still a spur. I think all your Spurs right backs they're up to no good, um, and you have plenty of those fullbacks. I think I counted the other day that nine nine players that can play fullback for Spurs. Well, I mean, any player could play fullback, really. You know, this this day and age, you put, oh. put anyone there. I mean, Pep would probably put Kane at fullback if he had him. Well, I'm pretty sure Kane was basically playing as number six, especially when he was doing all those back injuries to people. Um, wonder if he does that in Germany. But yeah, I'm feeling. Listen, mind the gap, three points. I believe we're in the top four. So <laughs> the the we'll two point the, gap. We'll take the two point gap. Start as we mean to go on. I think. Uh, we always see the seasons in phases and we have an international break in a couple of weeks. Have to see, you know, where we lie, see if we can get the first few games in. And uh, after that, right up to Christmas. And it'll be nice to, to not have, well, it's always nice having an international tournament, but to see it uninterrupted. I feel like we're finally getting back to a kind of calibrated season without, uh, without lots of disruptions and changes to the footballing calendar. So, be interesting to see. Do we see another traditional season, or do we see a uh, see a surprise because everything's changed? Who knows? It's going to be uh, going to be a great season, I'm sure. But uh, we'll be here alongside alongside uh, all the listeners and in a new era without Harry Kane. And uh, who knows? In two weeks, uh, when the window shuts, we might have some new names to shout about. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, I think for sure, to see this uh, this new look Spurs. And uh, yeah, it will be live.